Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. When we speak of God's providence, we mean that God, in some invisible and inscrutable way, governs all creatures and actions, circumstances, through, listen to this, through the normal and ordinary course of human life. Providence means that at times, God's rule will be expressed in thunder and sometimes in a whisper. And the fact that life seems ordinary does not mean that God is not ruling and reigning in that ordinary. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. As we travel through our daily lives, mundane as they may seem to be, it can be hard to imagine that God is working behind the scenes on our behalf. As we consider the story of Esther, it seems like this is just a story about a king that got mad at his wife and decided to get another one. As Pastor Ricky will be teaching, much of this story seems to just kind of go along until the end, where we see how God has been using the events of these people's lives to accomplish His purpose for His people. Let's join Pastor Ricky for part two of his message, When God is Nowhere to be Found. Everyone is afraid of Xerxes, but now they're also laughing at him. And and what's funny is he rounds up his advisors like it's a code red national emergency. We're not going to read that whole section of the text, which I encourage you to do this week. But essentially, all of his buddies start realizing, listen, listen, if the king's wife won't listen to him, why will our wives listen to us? This is like a national emergency. And so they form a council and they list the advisors and say, what are we going to do about this? What if the wives go on strike? (laughs) Has anybody ever thought about that? So they launch this plan. Okay, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to first get rid of her. She's a, like, absolutely, get rid of her. And then you get another wife, okay? A better wife, that's right. A hotter wife, that's right. And a more submissive wife, you're right. This is the beginning of the book of Esther. The king is made to look ridiculous because it invites us to compare him, this powerful but petty, this unlimited but limited tyrant with the God of Israel. So we have to remember that the background to the book of Esther is the entire Old Testament. And we're to ask the question, okay, that's the extent of Xerxes' rule, but what is the extent of God's rule as revealed in the Old Testament? The Bible tells us that God's rule, in contrast with Xerxes' rule, extends further and broader and deeper than any earthly ruler or any earthly force. Now, the book of Daniel was written earlier in exile when God's people were under the rule of Babylon. But even in exile, even in exile, listen, without their own land, without their own country, the book of Daniel says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand. See, God's rule is not struggling with the earthly powers. They are as nothing. He does anything he wills in all the realm of heaven and all of the earth, across galaxies and black holes and across economies and trade policies and medical tests. What you might not realize is that these words aren't spoken by Daniel in Daniel chapter 4. These words are spoken by King Nebuchadnezzar. 
They're spoken after the king exalts himself over God and is struck dumb and turned into a madman, into an animal. And when he's finally restored, this is what he says. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Meaning me, the ruler of the ancient world, I'm nothing compared to him. This is the biblical doctrine of God's sovereignty, which we can't fully dive into today, but the Bible is so clear. God rules over creation. Job says, to the snow, he says, fall on the earth, and to the shower and the rain be strong. The clouds scatter his lightning, then turn round and round by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them. God rules over even random or chance events, which will be very interesting later on. Proverbs 16 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but the decision is holy from the Lord. Even little random events in our lives, God rules over them. God rules over our lives themselves. In Psalm 139, in your book were written every one of them, the days formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. The Bible says that God's sovereignty is absolute, and his reign and rule extend everywhere. So then how do we put these two things together, the book of Esther and the rest of the Bible? How do these things possibly fit together? How can God seem absent and yet be ruling and reigning? Well, they fit together because they show us that God's rule is sometimes expressed in fiery mountains, in powerful rivers in the book of Exodus, and in fiery furnaces, like the book of Daniel, but God's rule is often expressed in quiet rulership. This is what theologians have termed the doctrine of providence. Commentator Carrie Job says this, when we speak of God's providence, we mean that God, in some invisible and inscrutable way, governs all creatures and actions, circumstances, through, listen to this, through the normal and ordinary course of human life. Providence means that at times, God's rule will be expressed in thunder and sometimes in a whisper. And the fact that life seems ordinary does not mean that God is not ruling and reigning in that ordinary. We'll see this over and over throughout the book of Esther, especially English majors would love this. The book of Esther is full of passive verbs. Things like this. This is one of the sentences later in the book of Esther. Then the time was when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy. Now, if you're an English major, you're like, well, who is the actor in that sentence? How did they get relief, and how was it turned into joy? Who acted to bring that about? The book of Esther says nothing. But we're meant to look at Esther through the backdrop of God's word and see, oh, we see clearly. We see clearly how the Jews got relief from their enemies and how clearly the sorrow was turned to joy by God. This is the extent of God's rule. And briefly, the character of his rule is in contrast to Xerxes as well. God acts, yes, for his own glory, but also for the good of his people. God is glorious, and what he does shines forth his glory. But in contrast to Xerxes, who pursues his glory at the expense of the good of his people, God has chosen to tie his glory to the good of his people, meaning that he's bound himself to his people in such a way that pursuing his glory and the good of his people are the same thing. 
to let his people falter and fall would be to the detriment of their good and his glory. But when he preserves and exalts them, not only is their good done, but he is gloriously displayed. And God, in contrast to Xerxes, is not changing. He's not beaten around by the whims of life or forces outside of him. He purposes to do something and he does not change. And he's not driven by sinful impulses, but by good desires. He is utterly loving, creating the world in goodness and love, setting his love on humanity freely. And he is utterly just. He created this world perfect and is in himself holy. There is no evil, no sin in him. And this, friends, this is the person who ultimately is pulling the strings. The extent of his rule is limitless, and his character is matchless. So what does this mean for God's people? Here's the point. What does this mean for God's people? It means good news. It means that while they feel and seem to be utterly exposed and helpless, it means that in light of God's rulership, they are utterly and truly protected. It means that he is utterly committed to his people and to the promises that he has made to them and that we should not mistake not seeing an obvious or spectacular hand of God with God being absent. It simply means that God is choosing to work through a quieter providence. Matthew Henry says this about the book of Esther. I love this. Though the name of God be not in it, the finger of God is. I love that. Though the name of God may not be in this book, the finger of God is, directing many minute events for the bringing about of his people's deliverance. See, God's people are utterly protected. Now, we must deal with something, though, because this creates a dilemma for God's people because they ended up in this situation because of their sin. They deserve to be where they are in exile. And in a similar way, all humanity is with them. We all deserve to be in exile. We each rejected God's good rule. We decided, I'm going to run my life. I'm going to reject you. I'm going to be the little King Xerxes of my life and decide that I'm going to exercise my rule over and against God's, which as foolish as it was for Xerxes and Nebuchadnezzar. We are sinful and rebellious people many times, and God must bring justice. And yet God here in the book of Esther acts to preserve his people. And why would he do that? Because God knew that a greater king than Xerxes was coming soon. And this king would make it possible for God's people to be fully restored to him. Instead of coming as a tyrant, Jesus came as a servant. Instead of asking that other people sacrifice their dignity or their lives for him, Jesus came and sacrificed his life for others. Now, he did this because God is just, and justice must wipe out sin. But instead, Jesus offered himself to God and so was wiped out for us. And he did this so that if we believe in him, our sins would be paid for and thrown away and we would stand in the righteousness of Jesus and therefore be utterly protected forever. That we would be found to have an eternal life that nothing in this world could ever shake or destroy, that no earthly tyrant or force could remove or budge, so that if our faith is in him, our destiny is in him, and we are forever 
utterly protected and secure. Now, friend, if you've walked in today and you're not a Christian, I just want to encourage you that this text is an invitation for you, that you today can go from being utterly exposed to utterly protected. I think all of us, our lives are a mix of other people's sin impacting and hurting us and our own sin impacting and hurting others. He will deal with the sin of the world around us, but you must deal with your own sin. And if God truly is a just God, if he can see into your heart of hearts, you realize you have an issue, you'd stand before him exposed, as exposed as Xerxes was. Your foolishness one day will be exposed by God, but God doesn't leave you there. He offers a way for you to be brought into his family and protected and covered by what Jesus has done. So I wanna encourage you today, believe in Christ and you can have this unshakable security in him today. You don't have to go out and attend church for six months or do a bunch of good deeds. This is offered to you by grace. And Christian, for us, we must remember this, that when God seems absent, if Christ would even die for us, will he leave us now? If God would do all of this and work this plan over centuries to send Christ in our place as our substitute, will he leave us now? If he's gone to the ultimate length to cover us and protect us as his people, will he leave us now? The book of Esther shows us that the answer is surely not. So this is the big idea today. If you get nothing else, this is the thing to get. Let's answer that question. Where is God when we can't see him? The answer is this, he's right there. Where is God when we can't see him? He is right there fulfilling his promises through his providence. So we should not mistake not seeing the big obvious hand of God with him not being at work in our lives. We see that that's the case even right here at the beginning of Esther. See, this whole story is setting into motion the salvation of God's people in the book of Esther. For the Jews, they would have thought that all of this stuff happening in the king's palace had nothing to do with them. It's like, okay, that's whatever. The king got mad. He got humiliated. He's gonna pick a new queen. It's nothing to us. And yet, in those circumstances that seem the furthest thing from their lives, God is setting into motion a plan to preserve and protect his people. Without this little incident of the king being insulted, the Jews would not be saved. And in a thousand ways, friends, in each of our lives, the Lord is acting to preserve and protect us, both in the day-to-day stuff of life, but also for his eternal purposes. Where is God when we can't see him? He's right there, fulfilling his promises through his providence. Now, let's end briefly by asking, okay, well, how do we deal with these two things together? How do we, in a sense, see double? How do we see the reign of the things around us and look beyond that to the reign of Christ behind those things? Remember what John Bloom says, the real story is often not what is most visible. So how can we learn to see both the visible and the invisible in the daily stuff of life? First, we learn to trace God's hand. One application of this text is that we need to get better and better at going back and reflecting on our lives and seeing God at work in the mundane and the ordinary stuff of life. Mark Dever commenting on Esther says this, what about your life? How many 
coincidences can you look back on that turned out to be significant, even from your finite vantage point? That thing that you just happened to meet your spouse, or you just happened to get that job, or that child happened to be protected from an accident. How many of those coincidences can you look back on that turned out to be significant? Do none of these speak of God's care for you? Can you see how he worked when you were asleep or spiritually even unready? Even in such moments, God persevered in showing kindness to you down to the minutest details of your life. He concludes by saying this, God's wisdom arranges the smallest events to the greatest tragedies in order to produce great results for his people. We were to look to grow in the skill of looking at our lives with the help of others and seeing often and frequently how God has been at work for our good in what seems to be so ordinary. And second, we're also to look at Scripture and learn to trace God's hand there. We're to take comfort in our lives looking at the truths of Scripture and the stories of Scripture. We're to remember that God's plan for Joseph when he was in prison was to preserve his people. We're to remind ourselves of God's plan when the apostles are thrown in prison that it would be the salvation of many. We're to get better and better at seeing the hand of God in the things around us. I have a friend here in El Paso who's a local pastor. His name is Greg. And one of the things I've watched over the last couple of years is that Greg's wife was diagnosed a couple of years ago, I believe now, with cancer. And knowing him both in person and online, I've followed their journey of his updates when they would go out for cancer treatments and come back when they would say, pray, we're getting a result. And they get the result. And They had a series of results that went from bad to worse, but then it seemed as though they got everything, got all the cancer she was doing while in remission, and then just recently got news that it may require another course of treatment and more surgery. One of the things that I respect, though, about Greg and his family is that he is constantly not just posting online about what's going on with his wife, but about the everyday goodness and providence of God. See, in that situation, I just fear. Would I even be able to see? But knowing Greg, it's almost as though his posts about God's goodness have gotten more frequent, even in the midst of this trial, where he'll post moments of like, I cannot believe I'm getting to eat breakfast on Saturday morning with my kids. What a joy. Or he'll post things that you just think are mundane and ordinary, but you know what he's doing? He is grabbing wherever he can the ordinary goodness and providence of God to sustain him for the places that he cannot see. He's saying right here, right here, I can see God's hand and I can't overhear. So I'm gonna keep looking here again and again and again to remind me that he's the same God here as he is here. We learn to trace God's hand. Second, we learn to trust God's heart. Spurgeon says, when you cannot trace his hand, You must learn to trust his heart. There will be times when you can see nothing of his hand in your life. And yet, Scripture still offers comfort because you will be able to trust his heart. I remember last year when we went on this long airplane ride, uh, my son Cohen, who was I think like a year and a half or something at the time, um, he just flipped out. It was a multi-hour airplane ride and he just 
flipped out. Now, and I don't mean like you get on a plane and some of the kids, you know, start getting a little cranky or fuzzy. He went like code red, we're going to die, right? And so he is screaming his lungs out. And the only thing that helped him is if Jen took him, held him in the back of the plane and talked to him. Put yourself in Cohen's shoes though. He's like one and a half. He has like no memories. All he understands is he's been put into a metal tube that's been shot into the sky for multiple hours, right? I mean, please be sympathetic with this kid. And the only thing, so like if you try to distract them, be like, hey, look, there's peanuts. His mind is going, peanuts, we're going to die. We're in a metal tube in the sky, people. This is his little Cohen attitude. The only thing that helped was seeing his mom's face and hearing his mom's voice because he did not understand that we were going on vacation. You can't explain to him, but we're going someplace wonderful. He's like, we're going to die. There's no arguing with a kid at that age. But he understood this. He understood his mom's face and his mom's voice. And I think sometimes we need to be the same way because God is doing things in our lives that make us feel like we've been put in a metal tube and shot into the sky. And God says, you're going on the best vacation the universe has ever seen called eternity. And we're thinking, no, we're going to die. And in those moments, what do we do? The Lord is kind, friends. He gives us this, a place where we can hear his voice and learn to trust his heart. So when you cannot trace his hand, learn to trust his heart. And third, we wait when we cannot see either. When it feels like you can't trace his hand anywhere, and you get into the Bible and it, you don't feel his heart necessarily, sometimes you wait. Dr. Ian Duguid, commenting on this section, says this, and I love this. This is so simple but so profound. Sometimes we have to wait to see what God is doing. I just, I read that and I thought, oh, why is that like such a simple sentence, but I need that so badly. He said that sometimes we have to wait to see what God is doing. Even though we cannot see God acting, it doesn't follow that he is not doing anything. See, for the Jews in Esther's day, they would have seen all these events with the king and been thinking, why isn't God doing anything to help us? And God knew. Sometimes they have to wait. Psalmists encourage us again and again to wait on the Lord. We must be willing to be patient. It may seem like nothing's happening. It may seem that God is doing nothing. Or it may be that he is using an emotional king to make room for an unexpected savior. It may be that God is positioning people to preserve his people. It may be that while the universe seems to be ruled entirely by chance, there is a God who controls the dice for the good of his people. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong in So much more to discover in this God of Chance series, but that's all we have time for on today's edition of Better News Radio. If you'd like to hear today's message again, or if you'd like to find more teachings by Pastor Ricky, visit our website at betternewsradio.com. 
If you'd like a full-length CD version of today's teaching, you can order one by emailing us at radio at betternewsradio.com. We're so glad that we can bring you God's Word through the ministry of Better News Radio. And we want you to know that we're praying for you always. We want to encourage you. If you haven't done so already, find a good Bible teaching church to become a part of. By joining a church, you gain a support group of fellow believers who put God's love into practice and can help you grow in your own relationship with your Creator. You too can contribute in your own unique way as well. And together, the body of Christ will reach many with the good news of the gospel. If you're in the El Paso area, we would love to have you come see us in person at Cross of Grace Church. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. to worship God and hear what He has to teach us through His Word. Find out more under the Community tab at betternewsradio.com. If you're not in El Paso, there's also some great resources to help you find a great church in your area. Thanks for listening to Pastor Ricky's message today from the God of Chance series. He'll have more to share next time right here on Better News Radio. Oh, my soul.